Welcome to the Spotlight Series from the Do More Good Podcast. You're listening to the Do More Good Podcast. The Do More Good Podcast. Uh, welcome to Do More Good Podcast. Do More Good. Do Good, Do More. Do More Good Podcast. Do More Good Podcast. That's what you want me to say. Okay. You're listening to the Do More Good Podcast. The Spotlight Series celebrates the stars of the sector. We're taking 20 minutes to talk about whatever topic is on their mind. Head to domoregood.uk forward slash spotlight to find out more and book your own 15 minutes of fundraising fame. Right, here we are, James, back again for another Do More Good Spotlight episode. How are you doing? I'm good, Kenneth. I'm very well. It is World Book Day here. So I was wondering what character you, maybe you did dress as or would dress as for that day. That's a tough question. You put me on the spot there. I was straight in there as well, immediately in. I know. It's not been the normal day because obviously it's the last day of homeschooling. So at my school today in my house, we didn't really embrace World Book Day, I'm afraid. We know on a typical day, the kids will be dressed up and going to school. I think I'd have to go for the BFG. Uh, Ah, Nice and friendly big guy. What about you? Nice, nice. um, When mine was... When I thought about that question, I've been accused of this before, uh, because I because I look so young, I'm going to be Dorian Gray with that painting in the in the attic that ages and, and all my misdemeanors are kind of held in that. Yeah, but I get away with it because I look about twelve. How was the last day of homeschooling in your house? Oh, cele- celebratory. Yes, yeah. it was good. I think the girls were done by about midday. They just did you get any gifts from them. the children for the last day of term or um, <laughs> no. you know? This is a good point. You didn't know about this, but my parents sent presents for the kids for finishing, for doing so well at homeschooling. Nothing for the bloody teachers. (laughs) Unbelievable. How about Uh, you? you No, 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 nothing. It was it was pretty much this afternoon. We had a couple of things to, to finish off. And it was almost when they closed the book, I saw that smile come to their face. So that's the last time we're going to have to sit down with dad and yeah. hear him drone on about something. But no, as he said, it's been a pleasurable experience, but it's Friday. We're finished. Put the homeschooling away. We've got a great guest to talk to. And yeah, it's the weekend has started. So why don't we uh, kick on, James? Let's do that. Well, tell you what, today our guest is a little bit like a present for you. Because um, <laughs> I know you are going to love this one. So we're talking big brands. We've got charities in there. There's marketing purpose and a race to secure the hearts of the public, which I know you're, you know you're passionate about. Um, so we are joined by Amy Hutchings, Strategy Director at Open. And Amy... Yeah gave a brilliant presentation last week on the rise of purposeful brands and what that means for the third sector. We couldn't make the presentation itself, but I sent the recording and I sat on the sofa downstairs on Sunday, just nodding away enthusiastically at everything that was said. And I knew at that point we just had to get her on. So welcome, Amy, to Spotlight. How are you? I'm Um, good. Nice way to spend a Friday night. Yes, lovely to be here. Thank you for having me on. Good stuff. Before we get started... What character uh, book, from which book would you be? Well, my daughter is into castles and dragons and that kind of book at the moment, particularly Zog. So um, we made her like a nice cardboard shield and a little sword and things. And naturally every knight needs a dragon. So 
that was the role which which I played. She's only three, so there's a lot of role playing going on at the moment. But I'm I'm a dragon quite a lot of the time, if I'm honest. Zog is a belter. That is one of my favourites. I'd happily read that one over and over again. I have to read one about a fairy tale hairdresser, which is not my favourite. Sounds lovely. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Right. Well, let's get into it. Can we start talking about brand purpose? What is it? And maybe can you give us some examples of household names who are adopting it, just to give our audience a bit of an idea of where we're going? Sure. So, so brand purpose, well, purpose is a funny term because it has a, like a proper meaning. And then it has the meaning that the commercial sector has been using for the last couple of years that you might have heard bubbling around. And really, you know, if you think about the sort of why that's at the centre of any business, traditionally for a commercial commercial brand, that would be profit and satisfying your shareholders by turning a healthy profit. And lately, there are a lot of brands who are trying to put something more meaningful right in the centre of their business strategy that becomes above and beyond profit. So an example of that would be Nike. So a really kind of famous purpose-led ad to sort of kick us off with would be their kind of Colin Kaepernick partnership and their ad that was just his face and believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. It's become a really kind of popular ad to talk about. I think there's been a lot of chat about it in our sector and what it might mean. And it kind of got me thinking because they, they've reported on kind of huge success for their business. You know, they've aligned with their millennial audiences. They knew that some people were going to burn their Nikes and they knew that some people were going to celebrate what they were doing and align with Nike forever by taking a stand on, on a social issue. Which, let's face it, is not really where you'd imagine a clothing manufacturer being a few years before. You know, there is that question. They've benefited at that point from a social movement and from a community. And that's where this becomes interesting for for our sector's point of view because we have lots of brands like Brewdog who are doing kind of huge things for the environment you might have different laundry products like Method and Ecover that are doing things for the planet you might use some different things like you know you might have Patagonia bag or you might have your Burt's Bees lip balm Um, but there's loads of these brands out there now and even a lot of kind of household names like you know Pampers have been doing it for quite a long time pretty much the whole suite of Unilever brands. And increasingly, you'll see that what used to just be kind of sales packaging, starting to have a bit more of like a, here's how we're doing some good message to it. So that's kind of purposeful brands in a nutshell. It's those brands that are trying to to do some good and trying to put some more sort of deeper meaning and make a deeper connection with their audiences in their marketing. You touched on it a little bit there, Amy, but how are the consumer viewing this? I mean, you know, you mentioned millennials, See, you've got a brew dog there as well. Cheers. <laughs> you mentioned kind of, you know, millennial Gen Z and they're looking for purpose and impact in, in the brand or the consumer decisions that they make. I'm just wondering if, if through the work research and the work that you've done, if you've seen how, how this is affecting consumers when they're looking to, to do their weekly shop, for example. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting, actually, because it's definitely change that's being led by millennials. They're that generation that have sort of grown up and into their sort of adulthood, realising that we can take to the streets, we can kind of take actions online, we have this voice and feeling like they can make a difference practically in their world. And they challenge leadership. And and the way that that's impacted brands is that millennials really expect these brands and the brands they use to align with their values. They look for their values everywhere they go. Their values have, have become like their identity, their social values, and they'll find their community of people who share the same values. They'll find the brands that share the same values and saturate their lives in these values. 
if you then look at Gen Z, you know, they're, they're even kind of deeper into this trend because it's what they're, they're kind of growing up with. But the really interesting thing is that the millennials are now taking everybody with us. And this has now reached, I would say it's kind of past that critical mass point where it's no longer a niche trend. This is something that people expect. So um, we can see that like 71% of people completely lose trust in a brand forever if they think a brand is putting their profit above purpose, which is quite an extraordinary thing. 71% of people expect brands to be more purposeful than profit driven when profit is you know why they exist in the first place so you know that these millennials are, are kind of taking everybody with them on this journey interesting because i'm going to go off presentation for a second here because it seems like that fits with a trend of society for the last few years of so that polarization of opinion that you were either on one side or the other there is no gray area in between that's yeah. it and people kind of aligning with brands that fit with that whereas maybe before we wouldn't have done that it wouldn't have really mattered so much what what name was on your t-shirt absolutely it's it's definitely part of that trend and you know if, if you look back over the last 10 years society has polarized more than than we've seen for a really a really long period of time and i think that it's a really key moment to bring back to to our sector because we we don't like taking a position we don't like picking a side we don't like upsetting anybody and you know we spend so much time thinking about how to carefully word things so there's not even one person could take offense to it and the problem is that is that you know if we don't actually share an opinion nobody can align with you nobody can share your values so while brands are making these big bold statements and kind of getting people burning their products and then other people saying well we believe what you believe so we'll buy your products forever and we'll tell everybody else that that's what we're going to do charities just aren't competing in that space we're just we're not finding those tribes we're not aligning ourselves with our with our audiences because we're just not giving them something to say yes i agree with that that's right i have to be part of that we're being a little bit too passive in what we communicate yeah that makes sense and you said it, it's, it's brilliant when it works and we've seen some fantastic executions of what you're discussing but there's also those that have done it and and it hasn't been right and it's gone wrong and it's obviously quite a difficult line to find as a profit making business to put something out there with a social purpose. But ultimately, you've got shareholders that you've got to be accountable to and, and profit from your experience, Amy. How have you seen organizations or for profit companies tread that line? And have you got any examples of when it's gone really wrong for them? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think that's that's a really interesting point. And I think um there are some some really great, I say great just because they're just quite funny in that sort of watching people do marketing badly way. <laughs> um, but, you know, some really great examples of, of when they have got it wrong. So, you know, Brewdog, before they went down the environmental route, did a beer for girls, a pink IPA, which was just so, wow, spectacularly offensive. Like, thank God there's finally a beer that we can consume. When it was blue, I, I couldn't go near the stuff. But, you know, now everything's changed. <laughs> we can also think about brands like M&S so they did their LGBT sandwich now not that avocado isn't a great addition to a BLT but um, trying to do that in aid of pride there was a kind of outcry that like you're benefiting from our community and you're doing it for marketing purposes and you're not giving anything back you know just giving us a few pence in the pound to a cause you've arbitrarily chosen is not a meaningful commitment to our community and to what we believe in Mm. and I think that you know early on there were these mistakes there were these errors Pepsi 
trying to fix racism <laughs> with Kendall <laughs> Jenner, handing handing a Pepsi to a police officer and, and fixing racism was just like, I mean, if you haven't looked on Twitter at, at the, the takedown of Pepsi, it, it's really worth it. And it, it's worth it as a cautionary tale to, to any brand who is thinking of taking on purpose and not properly planning it through. But I think that the, the, the pitfall of all of those brands is that they've put purpose in their marketing plan. They've, you know, quite often the purpose is owned by the marketing team in these brands. Mm. Um, there's a lot of brands out there. And you can go to, I, I like to go and spy on commercial brands at their conferences and just see what's going on in their world. So I get a sort of five year ahead view of what might happen in our sector. And th- these brands will talk about their amazing purpose led marketing plans, but it doesn't go deeper than that. And eventually people find out and they, and they make these mistakes. I actually don't find those brands that worrying because I think people see through them. The brands that worry me are the ones that have realized this, that are putting purpose at the heart of their strategy. So there are a whole load of brands out there, big brands like John Lewis and Tesco and Foot Locker, who've actually put their primary objective as achieving a kind of impactful social purpose above profit. And they say, we trust that profit will follow. If we pursue purpose, we trust that profit will follow. So I actually find that as somebody who works in charity marketing, much more scary because with the resources of those brands pointed at a purpose, they're actually having a really big impact. You know, in terms of their marketing, obviously they've got kind of got bigger budgets than us and a lot more resources. So that's when we start to have some really big competition in our sector. It's interesting you talk about when it, when things go wrong. You touched on this in the presentation around how those brands react to or how people react to those brands during an economic downturn obviously we've had a bit of a turbulent year we're expecting a financial downturn over the next few months and you touched on some stats in your presentation around how they bounce back and how they weather that that storm which again is is worrying news for charities yeah so this is really important thing to remember that this is not a fad it's not going anywhere because it's good for business so purpose equals profit purpose leads to profit it's been proven time and time again it's why this is now being the thing that is no longer optional for for these brands and so there's studies that have shown that more purposeful brands when there is a you know an economic downturn they suffer a lot less than than just purely profit driven brands they rebound a lot faster from any kind of shocks in the market. They're much healthier and stronger um, companies and businesses. And that's just because they're meeting their audience's needs. It, it makes sense. It's what people want. Businesses meet their needs and then they become more robust businesses. But for that reason, it, it's something we really have to start talking about more. We have to start taking it more seriously because this, this is not just a phase and it's not a handful of brands. It's, it's you know, this is mainstream now. I think, Amy, it'd be really interesting to ask you what, what, how your conversations are going with people in the sector and how the sector is viewing this. I mean, you know, I'm sure in your kind of day to day life, you, you speak to a lot of brand directors or marketing folk at charities and they obviously aware of it because all of those people that I've met, they do look to the private sector to get inspiration, steal ideas. You know, everyone begs, steals and borrows from everywhere. And so I certainly acknowledge that it's something that we should be wary of. But also there's been a lot of real positives to come from that, a lot of positive impact on on charities and charity brands. I think one example which I was aware of previously and was included in your presentation was Pampers and UNICEF Mm. and their alignment and the the, the relationship that they've had for 15 years, I think. Yeah. you know, and it just shows that there can be ways where this can be a long-term thing. It can be, it can be authentic. It can be for the long-term. 
can you tell us a little bit more about maybe some of those success stories? And then secondly, how your conversations go when, when you're talking to charities about what's coming? Sure. Yeah. So I think in terms of partnerships, partnerships has is, is got to be the way forward. You know, we, we can't compete if these people co- become our competition, you know, unless we um, unless we start investing much more significantly. It's going to be really hard for us to compete. And, you know, it is getting harder to fundraise. This isn't the only reason why, but it, it's one reason. So I think that, you know, in terms of you look at partnerships like UNICEF and Pampers, they've got their one pack, one vaccine partnership, which, as you say, has been going 15 years what they've achieved is staggering. So in terms of impact, there's hundreds of millions of people who have potentially been vaccinated. There are tens of millions of people potentially alive because of that partnership. So they can have a huge impact. But, you know, I think it's a partnership that makes everybody happy. You know, Unilever are a very forward thinking business. They knew this was where the world was going quite a long time ago. They got ahead of the game. They know that this partnership makes them look fantastic. And I've used Pampers. They're not actually the best nappies, if we're honest. But I use them all the time because when you're there in the shop, I know that I'm going to buy a vaccine every time I buy that pack. And that's a very compelling proposition. So they're happy. UNICEF are happy. They're they're helping save loads of mums and babies' lives. So it's it's a partnership that works for everybody. But I think that at the moment, a lot of charities are a little bit misaligned on what partners want. I think firstly, we're a little bit too apologetic in asking for help and for support and for a partnership. I think we forget how much we have to offer. You know, we're actually the experts at changing the world. So if brands want to do that, then pretty good to be able to partner with a charity that's been doing that for, you know, maybe 100 years. So let's not be so apologetic in asking for partnerships. Let's demand these partnerships and, and hold them to account. And secondly, I think that you can look at what brand directors from charities and from businesses say they want from partnership and it's completely polarized charities go well we we want your money and actually it might be that a brand could help you much more with media reach or with kind of audience alignment or by coming in and investing their innovation and their r&d skills in your product development or in your programmatic services but i think you need to find a partnership where you're both trying to talk to the same people where you share those values and then work together to find that thing that works for both sides. You know, nobody's going to be making a huge sacrifice. It's, it's win-win. And it's, it's probably more win-win now than it's ever been before because these brands want to look purposeful. You know, having a charity sticker on your product did not used to be cool. Now it is very cool. <laughs> now it is what people want. So there's a lot of opportunity there. Talking about it from a consumer's point of view, they get to feel like they're doing their bit as you say, by buying Brewdog beers, you feel like you've done something to help the planet. Maybe you've, you know, you've ticked off your altruism for the week in your shop rather than having to donate to a charity. So these guys are definitely competitors in that sphere. Is that bad? Is that necessarily a bad thing? Well, you see, this is the fundamentally terrifying thing. Brands are making it a lot easier to do good So people are fundamentally good. We have this belief at open, like people are fundamentally good. Most people are good. Few people are just evil psychopaths. And we might disagree on lots of day-to-day things, but there's more that we agree on and most people are good. So if brands are making it easier and easier to do good, it makes our offer of please will you give your cash away for free a lot less compelling if I can just go to the supermarket and fill my trolley with altruism then I literally don't need to give 10 quid to you when you ask so it's it's really difficult we talk a lot at open about itch and scratch and that being at the heart of fundraising you know a problem needs to itch it needs to sit uncomfortably with people you feel it when you see a charity message that really hits home with you and then scratch that feels really satisfying yeah I'm going to put the pencils in that kid's hand I'm going to put the food in there hand I'm going to do something really tangible and I feel great doing it 
well, these brands are making it so easy to scratch that itch. If I'm worried about the planets on fire and deforestation. I literally just have to put BrewDog in my car. And, you know, they've gone carbon negative, not just carbon neutral, but they actually capture twice as much carbon as they emit as a business. Now, that's quite extraordinary. I don't know that even our environmental charities in the sector do that. So you can have a really big impact just with your shopping. And the problem is that it's taking away that itch for people. If people feel like I'm just doing good with everything I do, it might get harder for us as fundraisers. On the other hand, and that there is a real counterbalance to this, isn't that a great thing if everything we do does some good in the world? I think it's something that we need to pay attention to and we need to think about as charity marketers. Actually, as charities, as the, as the, the sector that is trying to kind of make change in the world and make it better and fairer for people and animals and the landscape, then isn't it a great thing? Wouldn't it be a beautiful world if everything you did and every pound you spent did a little bit of good? That would be great. Most people get into the charity sector for the incredible pay, but there are people that are more purpose-led, aren't they? They, they want to see the change in the world as well. So those one in 10 that work in, in charities, yeah. actually, if these companies are doing that, like you say, you could do that through everything you do. Yeah. Even if that doesn't involve you. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking there, as you were talking about the kind of the, the partnerships, just going back to your last point, Amy. So we at Christmas spoke to John Lewis, actually one of the brands that, that you've mentioned we sat down with their brand creative director and, and spoke about their give a little love campaign that they ran over christmas and then we did a flip show the next week with the ceo of homestar and and fair share and you know as the charities on the other side and hopefully i think what i took out of that conversation was exactly as you said it was a real partnership there wasn't the charity going to this huge big john lewis and saying you know we want to work with you it sounded like the honest conversations had really happened up front. And I realised that that's an, a bit of an ideal. And, and people listening to this are probably thinking, well, yeah, of course, we'd love to have a conversation with John Lewis and then get a partnership. And I know it doesn't work that, like that in reality. But I guess my point is that there is some great examples of how this is really benefiting charities in terms of having partnership with for-profit making businesses that aren't just around raising funds that can actually transform their brand, can can get their key messaging out there in the situation of fair share, you know, can help them in terms of the lobbying that they're doing around food distribution and, and waste by working with that. So that we are seeing some really successful partnerships. And I hope as we go forward that we'll continue to see many more of them, really. I think you're right. I think one of the challenges, though, for charities is that we tend to target the purposeful brands. We think, well, they're purposeful. They'll want to work with charities. They've nailed it. They've sorted yeah. it, they're doing it themselves. The people you want to go after are the ones who are going, oh, we're an old fashioned brand and we don't know how to do this. And why were we founded? We were founded to make fizzy drinks. We don't have a purpose. We don't have a great backstory that we can turn into a purpose. And there are these brands, you know, I've been to conferences, which is just these old brands panicking about how to be purposeful. Those are the ones to target because they're the people that you can help. I've been to um, to kind of listen to the, the CMO at Britvic talk about it and say, like, I actually feel quite self-conscious talking about purpose. We're a soft drinks company. Why should I talk about purpose? But necessity is the mother of invention. This year we've had to do something. So, you know, I think that's another thing that we need to think about is that this year has just accelerated this. As with so much change, it's just added fuel to the fire. So 
so many brands that, that were thinking, well, we could get away with with not doing this or we'll get around to it. I thought, actually, I have to do something this year. I can't just be seen to be turning a profit while COVID is happening. It's got to be doing some good. So what do you expect the reaction will be from the, the charity market over the next few years? If, if this trend continues, and I feel I, I don't know whether it's it, you could define it as a trend because it feels like it's been growing in terms of putting social purpose at the heart of your business. But how do you see open charities reacting to this? Do they just decide to go along with it? And as, as we've talked about, partnerships just become more of the way. Do we see it at some point pivot off and actually that charities decide to go in a slightly different direction than, than the brands? Have you any thoughts on, on that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think there's a sort of a short term thing and a long view thing. I'll do the long view bit first because I think it's it's quicker. But, you know, I think long term, it's really going to be interesting to see if sort of in the next 10 to 20 years, there are kind of any mergers perhaps between charities and brands, you know, where you have an aligned purpose, you have an aligned audience, you basically have a source of funding and a profitable company and you have a way to change the world and have an impact in a charity. I'd be really interested to see if that happens because, if you look at B corporations, they are effectively a hybrid. Their, their, their absolute goal is to make change. They fund themselves with products, you know. So Ben and Jerry's say we are an activism company. We fund ourselves with ice cream. It's just what we do to make the money to do our activism work. So I think that would be really interesting long term. Short term, I'm definitely seeing it reflected in the work that we do at Open has really been diversifying. So we are working with more brand teams, definitely to look at long term communication strategies. What story are we going to try and tell over the next three to five years, not just in the next three to five months? So that's a big shift and I think a really positive one. And we're also working with more corporate partnerships teams. I think to think about how we can activate these partnerships and pitch them effectively. And we're doing more in an integrated way. So what's great to see is more kind of corporate teams, individual giving fundraisers, brand teams going, we need to work together because if we're going to compete with them, we cannot be sitting in our silos telling a load of different stories in different ways. So that's really great to see. And I think another kind of key reaction is then to think about meet these businesses halfway. You know, if you've got a consumer audience that expects a bit of value back, I've got used to getting brew dog when I want to do something about the planet. You need to give me something back. Whatever we feel about that, that is now what audiences expect. So so thinking about different products like value exchange, like subscription products or different kinds of products that offer some value back. And, you know, we're knowledgeable organizations. We hold valuable information and there are ways of packaging that information and packaging different things in order to to sort of find new ways to fund our work so we're definitely doing a lot more innovation product development now it's interesting isn't it because the the two are moving closely together you talk about ben and jerry's there that is terrifying because their product is so good yeah i would happily buy ben and jerry's without them being an activism company but if they are fantastic so the two are moving together at these conferences you go to, I imagine there are very nervous chats around, oh God, charities are moving into our city. They're offering products now. They're going to be you know, <laughs> drinking water and sports gear too. But the two actually, like you say, merging and coming together, that's that's really interesting. Definitely. And I think I think a really important example that's sitting in that middle ground is Choose Love, obviously, who were help refugees. They are completely led by their product, obviously, to an extent that they've adopted that as their name. And I have organizations who are saying, well, we don't want to test two sheets of stickers because that just feels like too expensive and we don't want to appear wasteful. And actually, you know, we need to step it up a gear. And I think it's not just a T-shirt, is it? That's a value statement, choose love. It's something that's really important to that generation. It's part of that culture and that community that people want to kind of align with. 
So they've built a model around something that's going to make them some money about something that's profitable. I don't want to kind of be be down on the idea of when there's a genuine need, asking people directly just to donate, because I think that's something that people will always do. But looking at the, the sort of I think we need to have more diverse portfolios than that. I think we need to think about those areas where we can offer some value, where we can maybe be a bit more product led. It feels like there's a, a real conversation to be had there between these brands and the charity sector, because we can obviously learn a lot from each other. I wonder if there's businesses out there that are looking at the charity sector at the moment and thinking about social purpose and saying, well, actually, let's go and find some talent from someone who's been working in a charity and then pinch them over there for double the salary or whatever it is. I have to say it's a really important point is, is about how the sector is perceived by commercial brands. So something that I quoted in the, in the talk that I gave last week was a, the CMO of a really big B Corporation brand. And I asked about like, what kind of charities would you partner with then? And she said, we don't partner with charities. We only partner with NGOs. And I was like, right, and what do you perceive the difference to be there? She was like, well, you know, like an NGO or like an activism company or like a not-for-profit, but not like a charity. We wouldn't really partner with a charity. And I just thought how fascinating. There was so much nodding going on. And I just thought how fascinating that that perceived difference. You know, charity is a word that conjures up cake and kindness and pocket change. And it's a lovely word, but it's an old word. And I don't think it's helping us in the commercial space. It's not... It doesn't sound dynamic. It doesn't sound relevant. It doesn't sound immediate. And actually, I'm kind of punting for a bit of a sector rebrand that we start talking about ourselves as not for profit. And I've said charity probably 20 times already, you know, while we've been talking. But I think we need to try and make ourselves say not for profit and remind people that fundamentally that's the difference. However much good, however impactful that really good laundry detergent wants to be, they fundamentally still have shareholders to satisfy. So we are not for profit. And that's a really special, beautiful thing that a group of people have come together and and, and made a business that makes no money so that it does good. That's really beautiful. Let's rebrand. Let's celebrate that. Amy, it doesn't sound like a rebrand. That sounds like a revolution. And (laughs) I know someone with a dragon outfit to lead that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm up for it. Like I think I, I'm in a really privileged position because at Open I get to spend all my time looking at insight from across the sector, from loads of different big charities, small charities, and I'm in a team who are doing the same. So we we get the privilege of this insight and trying to see where sector trends are going. Something that Open's been kind of really passionate about we sort of decided sort of earlier last year was just to say actually we need to democratize this insight we need to share it with the sector and we need to do it for free it's got to be out for everybody it can't be that only the people with the money can can find out what's going to happen in in a few years time and what they need to be doing we need to start sharing this as much as possible so I think whenever we're passionate about something and obviously this is something that I find fascinating we just want to try and explore it and I certainly don't know everything about it or have all of the answers what I want to do is start the conversation and get us talking about it and a bit worried about it so that we can we can do something about it and respond but that's yeah. I guess that's the, what's one of the benefits of working with an organization like yours at Open is you've done that 10-15% digging into this whole topic area and you can bring back what you've learned and make it relevant and useful for charities. Amy, you're conscious of, of your time and, and Friday evening, but if people are interested in, you know, want to hear more from yourself, maybe from open on, on the work that you're doing around, I love that around kind of reframing charity to not-for-profit, where can they go and what, what would you tell people? Um, we'll reach out to us on LinkedIn, come and have a chat. 
because I think as part of what we want to do with kind of putting the this sort of free insight out there is we also want to bring in people and just have conversations, have some discussions. I think it'd be really nice to get a group together of people who are probably more experienced and in these sectors than me. So I've been having a chat with some people from B Corps and it'd be really nice to kind of bring a group together. Like let's let's facilitate that awkward table discussion. Let's get a really profitable business, a purposeful business, a yeah. charity and a producty charity. Let's get in a room and get them talking to each other because that would be an amazing experiment. Just reach out for a chat. And uh, yeah, if you represent any of those and you fancy joining that awkward discussion, then hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. Well, look, we'll wrap it up there, AB. Thank you so much for coming on. We'll make sure we share the link if anyone wants to watch the presentation. Yeah, Amy, any final thoughts you'd like to leave us with? Not for profit, all the way. That's good. James, anything to leave us with? Something I'm sure Amy will nod along to is actually this is a, it's an opportunity. This is not something to be scared of. This is this is somewhere we can go and things that we can do that are exciting. So. Oh, yeah, 100 percent. I think I, I keep completely freaking myself out and then coming back to this is a really good thing as a charity marketer, terrified as a human ecstatic like and I, I have to be a little bit careful because I don't want to like upset the bosses at open by talking about the fall of capitalism and stuff but it is a really exciting thing wouldn't it be amazing if every brand was measured held to account responsibly doing good in the world that would be really cool so this this yeah. escalated to the fall of capitalism I love it brilliant <laughs> wow what an ending I'm really getting so much trouble <laughs> A great thought-provoking topic. Thank you, Amy, for coming on and sharing it with us. We'll wrap it up there and see you soon. It's a pleasure. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Spotlight series from the Do More Good podcast. You can find our main episodes at domoregood.uk and we're on Twitter and Instagram at domoregoodpod. If you fancy featuring on Spotlight, then head to domoregood.uk forward slash spotlight and get in touch. We'll speak to you soon.